What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 51 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Today's going to be a fun one. I hope you brought a pen. I hope you brought a pencil to sit down and listen in to my conversation with Sam Chan, the author of Who Moved Your Ladder, Leadership Pain, and the newest book, New Thinking, New Future. I'm going to prepare you in advance. You will be challenged, you will be pushed, and you will be given some incredible tools to help you be a better leader. We got off our call, and I probably texted 10 people to say, hey, you got to go get this book. You got to go pick up this book. The beautiful part of it is, We're going to tell you in the podcast how you can get a free copy of his new book, New Thinking, New Future. Sam is one of the most recognized leadership experts in the world. He consults with some of America's greatest companies and greatest churches. Their leaders look to him for advice and for coaching. And today, you get to look to him for advice and coaching. So I want you to pull up a chair. And I want you to listen in to my time with Dr. Sam Chand. Well, Dr. Chand, thank you so much for joining me today. It is an honor to have you again on the podcast. Oh, it is always an honor to be with you, Pastor Lynch. You, you, you add so much value to people all over the world. And, you know, when you add value to others, it all comes back to you. And so I'm grateful that you'd give me this opportunity again. Well, you're one of those people when you, there are people who put out great thoughts and you go, those are great. And then there are those thought leaders when they put out something, they stop you in your tracks and you go, man, I've got to process that. And I think you're one of those leaders. Your stuff is just, man, it is so on the money for leaders that it, it just resonates. And you're so very kind to say doing, that. Well, you're unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you. You're very kind, and I don't take that lightly. Well, you've got a brand new book out, New Thinking, New Future. Phenomenal book that you were kind enough to uh, send a copy my way, and I tore it up while I was on vacation. Tell me your heart behind this new book. This is a little different than some of the other ones you've written before. Yeah, uh, you know, so some of my books uh I've written quite a few of them now are pragmatic. This is what you need to do. Then there are some things that I want you to, like this is how you need to think. For example, my book, Leadership Pain, is about understanding who you are. You're not alone. You're going through a tough time. My book, Bigger, Faster Leadership, is about systems and structures, Mm -hmm. two totally different books. But I wrote this book because of my frustration. I think a lot of authors write books out of frustration. And my frustration was everybody wants to have a new future, 
They want to go to a new place. They want to do new things. They, they want to be new themselves. But they want to do it with old tools and mm. old paradigms. And uh, they're running antiquated software that does not work anymore. Therefore, I started thinking about, so what is holding people back to have a new future? And it was old thinking that mm. keeps us from our new future. Hence the title, New Thinking, New Future. You want a new future? It'll take new thinking. There, there's, a great, uh, there's a great leadership philosopher by the name of Alvin Toffler. And Alvin Toffler said this, the illiterate of the future will not be those who can't read or write. The illiterate of the future will be those who can learn, unlearn, and relearn. Mm. Learn, unlearn, and relearn. I don't know about you, about, about me, unlearning is tough. Mm. You know, as readers, we lead with certitude, where we lead with confidence, we know where we are going. But that is what this book is about. The book is about saying, hey, Everyone can have a new future, but what you need to do more than that is get new thinking. Is it harder for someone to learn or harder for somebody to relearn? So as a leader, you've got, you're good at what you do. Is it hard? Is it harder for that person to begin to relearn that well, it, what I used to do just not working anymore? I think before you relearn, you have to unlearn. So, uh, yes. So the Alvin Toffler says three things. The literature of the future will be those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. So you're still a learner, but unlearning, unraveling. Uh, mm. Unlearning simply means that my default setting, uh, you know, those who play golf, those who play any kind of sport, if you just started playing without a coach early in life like I did, unlearning that grip. Or learning right. that throw. If you're a musician uh, and you just started playing the guitar or the keyboard or what have you on your own, uh, unlearning the the way your fingers move and unlearning how things work in the in that whole industry. So I think we have learned so much, but for me, uh, unlearning is the hardest. Relearning is the second hardest. Mm. Uh, so. Because here's the deal, what we need to know and what we already know. Mm. So what we already know gets in the way of what we need to know. Uh, and so we can be beautifully equipped for a world that does not exist. Listen, I went to Bible college uh, to be a pastor in 1973 and graduated in 1977. I went to seminary a little later on after that. But the world for which I was prepared does not exist anymore. And every, every church leader listening to me right now can just look at, not don't try to look for 10-year differences. This is the last three to five years. The, the shifts in the church uh, are just colossal. They are a tsunami. And, and, and you cannot keep doing what you're doing until you're willing to unlearn and then relearn. We can talk more about that, but at least right now, unlearning for me is an ongoing process. Oh. 
I am always questioning myself. It is better for me to keep asking myself, what's in the way? Uh, what new thinking do you need to have? Is that old thinking? Are you thinking like you used to or for where you've been or are you thinking for where you need to go? What, is, what are you packing in your brain? What are you packing in your heart? Uh, and, and so, for example, uh, when I travel, you know, uh, I travel all over the world. And, and so if you were to open my suitcase, just by the clothes I have in it, you can tell if I'm going to a warm climate, I'm going on vacation, mm -hmm. I'm going to a cold climate, uh, if I plan to swim, if I plan to golf. So we always pack for not where we have been, but we pack for where we are going. Well, so everybody good. has to ask themselves, what are you packing? Mm. And so if you came from a vacation in a warm place and now you're going to go to work in a cold place, you'll have to unlearn, unpack, <laughs> put in new stuff. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. That's right. And so many leaders don't want to take the time to do that. I think you've, it's taken so long to get where you are. You're going, well, why do I need to start over? Why do I need to, why do I need to re unlearn then relearn? But if you don't, you become somebody that's more schooled in the history than in the future. Correct? Absolutely right. I mean, many of your listeners, no doubt are church leaders and many of them are pastors uh, who communicate from a platform. But I know myself, in my short life, I'm on my fifth preaching style. Mm. <laughs> That's because amazing. We, the way I started preaching, back from the old Schofield Bible and Thompson Chain Reference Bible, the yep. proof text methodology. And, you know, we've been through that whole. So I'm not just in preaching, not just preparation, but my delivery. I mean, most of us used to preach longer than we're preaching now. That's right. Uh, so, so just the whole notion of how do I need to unlearn to be effective in where we are going? That does not mean that you dump the baby with the bathwater, but definitely have enough about you to be able to uh, be introspective and ask yourself the tough questions. Well, I love one of the principles you hit in the book. You said we can get lost in the goals and where we're going, but there are some fundamentals. And then you made this phrase, who does what by when? Oh, you man. said great leaders talk about who does what by when. Unpack that for me a little bit. I live by that. That's MBA 101. <laughs> I love it. In fact, if you're listening to me right now and you want to upgrade the execution in your organization, you want implementation to go to the next level, you want things to get done, here it is. Never leave agenda item number two to go to agenda item number three till you can answer three questions in one sentence. Who does what by when? Let me rewind and come back to that. Who is a person? Never ever assign any responsibility to a group of people. Mm, mm. Get done. There has to be a point person. There has to be a point person that you can communicate with, who can communicate with you and keep you updated on the status. Because if you say, hey, you all got this? And they're going to say yes. But 
if something does not go right, you got to know who is responsible. If something goes right, you got to know who to give accolades and affirmation to. So who? There's got to be a person. Every problem you have is a person. Every solution you have is a person. Mm. So who does what? Now, what is about clarity? The clearer you are at the front end of something, the more likely it is for things to actually get accomplished. Because you think, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So, so I got in, I do a lot of these uh, round tables for senior leaders, uh, CEOs in some cases, senior pastors in some cases, no more than 15 people at a table for a whole day. So that's what I do a lot of those round tables. So I was uh, doing a round table in another city and I went there, uh, met with a pastor, pastor was my host, longtime friend. So we're in the office talking and stuff like that. Then after a while, we said, well, let's go down to the place where the pastors are gathering because there was a pastor's round table. Let's gather there. Uh, so let's go down there. So we, we, we are happy, we are talking, we are joking, and we are laughing and walking down to the conference room where this roundtable is going to take place. And Pastor Mike, as soon as we entered that room, I looked at the countenance of my host pastor, a very large church pastor, and his countenance changed. He was mad. He was ticked off. I mean, he was visibly upset. So... It was so obvious, I turned to him and said, hey, you okay? He said, what do I have to do? I told them I wanted tables and chairs. I said, well, I'm seeing tables and chairs. There are tables and there are chairs. He said, no, no, no. They've got those rectangular tables. I wanted them to have round tables. I said, did you tell them you wanted round tables? He said, no. Do I have to draw out everything for them? I said, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, just clarity. Who does yeah. what? The clearer you are, the more you can get execution. And then, very important, by when? Yep. Don't ever say ASAP. Because your as soon as possible is going to be sooner than they're possible. Mm, mm. Uh, never say ASAP. It is better to say, can you have this for me next Wednesday by 10 o'clock? Now, they may say, I cannot do that, but I can have it to you Friday by 10 o'clock, and then you can talk it out. So set definite expectations. This is what I know. If something does not get calendarized with a date and a time is not going to happen. That's right. Think about what's happening right now between the two of us. That's right. Set a date and a time. And that's why it's happening. That's Otherwise, right. we'll keep talking about it and nothing will happen. Who does what by when? If you live by that, teach your people the principles behind it, unpack it for them. I think you will see a higher level of execution and implementation in your organization. Well, and that even plays into, and I know you've written a whole book on staff culture, on, on culture of teams. That plays into the culture of teams, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, teams love clarity. Mm -hmm. Who is responsible? What are they going to do? When is it going to get done? 
That's right. Teams love clarity. However, most leaders are not concrete. They are abstract. So we talk in abstract language. We cast vision that way. We talk about the mission that we have been called to. And all that is great and wonderful, and please keep doing that. But that's not what gets things done. That just gives us the why and the what. But we have to be very, very careful in how we take the abstract language and make it concrete for the people that we are leading. That's so good. And, you know, you even in, in the book, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but in the book you talk about the rowing team. Yeah. And you talk about what makes a rowing team so successful. There's a very clear objective. They know who's in charge. But one of the principles you talked about the rowing team I thought was so good is everybody's back is to where they're going, but they're working together. Talk to us a little bit about that and that principle and teamwork that you talk about. So if you've seen a rowing team, no rowing team sits with their eyes to where they're going. They always have their back. But have you noticed they do have the leader? That's right. Who is doing a number of things, setting direction, giving direction, encouraging the people, making corrections as needed, and they are not driving the people, but they are leading the people. And right. Everybody is rowing, not just in the same direction, but the same movement. Mm. And that creates what we call momentum. That's right. Momentum is velocity multiplied by the mass or the weight. Now, what's velocity? Velocity is different from speed. Velocity is speed in a certain direction. So I'm going 35 miles an, miles an hour or kilometers an hour, and I'm going north. When you put the direction in there, it moves from being speed to velocity. Multiply that by the weight or the mass, the critical factors behind it, and you become unstoppable. And that is why if you are driving a Volkswagen, it, you can stop it on the brakes. You're driving a semi, it's going to take a little while longer. Same speed, same direction, but because of the mass behind it. Mm. You are in a train. Same speed, same direction, but because of the mass behind it, it takes it longer. And that is the beauty of the rowing thing. Every mass, every movement, everything counts. There is no wasted movement in it at all. And all that happens when they understand that when we win, we all win together. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, a, it's a team sport, not an individual sport. That's what leadership is. Where, where do people get in trouble? Because I, I think everybody gets the team concept, churches, businesses, schools. We got superintendents that listen in of school systems. They get that concept, but where does the breakdown happen in teams, Dr. Chan, that you've worked with and some of these roundtables that you've worked with through the years? Where do you see this breakdown in teams? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. I should write a whole book about that question <laughs> right there. I've seen that again and again. First of all, everybody believes in teams. Mm -hmm. I have never met any leader who says, ah, no, no, I don't need a team. So number one, everybody believes in teams. Number two, everybody has some kind of team, or at least has employees who may not be a team, but at least has mm -hmm. people 
doing something with them. Could be volunteer, could be paid, doesn't matter, but they have people. So all the critical factors are there. So why do leaders not do well with teams? Number one is they don't value people. Mm. When you mm. don't value people, and their input becomes inconsequential. You can blow them off. When you don't value people, you don't engage them at the front end of the journey. So if you do make all the decisions, all the decisions, all the decisions, all the decisions, and then you bring me on and just say, I want you to do this. So I just become a doer. I'm not part of the team. You just ask me to. So I just do short term. I never see myself part of the bigger picture. The other thing that I think I don't know how to fix is most of us were raised by leaders who really didn't do team. They were strong leaders, strong pastors, so strong principals, strong yep. superintendents. <laughs> I mean, that was a different time and era. Yep. I mean, my father was a pastor. He didn't lead with a team, I can tell you that much. I mean, whatever he said, he was the founder of the church. He was the pioneer. So he just told people what to do. And in those days, people just did. But how many of you know, those days are so far in our rear <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you, now we give mere suggestions. And that too, people have opinions on that. So we were, we were not raised with teams. So it's difficult to give away what you don't have. It's hard to pass on what you don't possess. Another reason why it's difficult for leaders to do teams is because they treat the entire team the same. Yep. You have to segregate your team. You have to segregate your even Jesus. So if you if you think of a, if you draw a triangle and you segment it out, so uh, let us make four segments in there, uh, horizontal segments. So the bottom is the crowd. The one above that is the 70 disciples. Above that is the 12 disciples. Above that in the topmost is three. Jesus spent most of his time in that cascading order. He, he spent the least amount of time with the crowd and the most amount of time with the three. He had a team, but he knew how to uh, divide the team, right. segment the team, utilize the team for what they are best at. And so once we understand, we value people, we value the input of the team, and more than that, we realize we are not going anywhere without a team. That's right. I mean, think about if, if you're a church leader, for example, think about what your next Sunday is going to look like if all your volunteers went on strike. That's right. You won't be doing much. I mean, you may not even have lights and sound in your church. That's right. I remember, year, I remember years ago, I had a buddy visiting from Arizona, and he was flying in, and he said, I want to spend an entire morning with you at North Star. I said, okay, so I have my same routine. I get here early and do my thing. We got done with the day. I said, what would you think? And he went, you really don't do that much in accordance to all the church does. And I went, no, I really don't. I've got the easiest job. I get up, I talk, but all the work is all the other stuff that goes on. It's not me. I'm just a piece of the puzzle. So exactly. Right. Oh, that's so true. You made a you made a great point in your team section in the book. You talked about in dynamic organizations, leaders have three responsibilities in relating to their teams: sift, shift, and lift. 
unpack that a little bit for me. That was so good. I would love to hear more about that. <laughs> I got because of my accent, I got to say these <laughs> first two words very. Clearly. That's exactly right. That's right. Sift, S I F T, sift, shift, S H I F T, and lift, L I F T. Let's talk about those three. Sift is when you say it is not working out. You are not working out mm -hmm. for all kinds of reasons. It could be culture, it could be competency, it could be character, it could be any of those things, but you sift them out. The Bible talks about sifting wheat and chaff. So you mm -hmm. sift them out. That means they are no longer on your team. Shift are people who are on your team, but are can bring higher results and better engagement in another area of your organization. And lift is our people who are kicking it, making it happen. Uh, they are uh, going after it and you want to affirm them. You want to lift them up. You want to promote them with greater responsibility. So in another way that I could say the same thing, Pastor Mike, is uh, who to retain, who to release, yep. and who to reassign. Yep. So, yeah, so uh, you have to be doing that constantly. And I would encourage leaders to do that at least annually. Look at everyone you got and ask yourself, who, does, who do I need to sift? Who do I need to shift? And who do I need to lift? And that's part of your responsibility as a leader. Part of that responsibility and building that team is that ownership, isn't it? Oh, that's the, and I think the toughest thing a leader does is people decisions. That's right. Uh, building decisions are easier. Money decisions are easier. Location decisions are easier. That's program right. decisions. Every decision is, is pale and fades in comparison to the people decisions you're going to make. Because that's where your emotional energy goes, making people decisions, who to keep, who to not keep, who to elevate, whom not to elevate. Uh, I mean, for leaders, that is the hardest, toughest call you're ever going to make. Mm. You, you talked in the book, and every, every chapter you ask a question, and one of the chapters was the question of maturity. And you said, when we hit bumps in the road, we tend to react at the true level of our maturity. <laughs> I have never heard that said that way before. Yeah. That is true. Why is that so true? Well, when, when uh, you hit that bump in the road, the real you comes out. Mm. Your anger comes out. Your frustration comes out. Your uh, pain threshold comes out. Your language comes out. Your demeanor comes out. Your value systems comes out. Your, your core values come out. Uh, when you hit that, you don't know that. In fact, the same thing is true for your uh, leaders in your church. You really don't know who your real leaders are Till the organization hits a bump. That's right. And I always say to I always say to people, when you're going through tough times, I know you got to fix it. You gotta you gotta focus on that. But please do not miss the opportunity to mark the people who are with you, mm. because in your toughest days is when you're gonna find your greatest leaders. Not in good times, but in tough times. 
And so, yeah, when you hit that bump in the road is when you <laughs> really get to see who the real person is. That's true in my life. That's true in everybody's life. And, and that is why it's in the tough moments that our character gets revealed. And I hope we pass the test. Uh, yeah, I hope we, I hope we do too, and I hope there's no recordings of when we don't. No, because uh, we sure we sure have plenty when we don't. You made a comment as as we get ready to wrap up today. You talked about what an incredible leader Jesus was. What made him such a phenomenal leader? Oh boy, you're talking about the amalgamation of divine and human. Mm. I'll give you two things that I think. And of course, this question has been uh, talked about by people much, much, much smarter than me, but I'll give you two of my observations. Number one, he had only one focus. Mm. He was singular focused. We live in a distracted world. He stayed singularly focused on his purpose and his mission. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it all started. Number two was in actual behavioral ways, the first thing Jesus does is does not try to preach, teach, heal the sick, do miracles, raise the dead, feed the hungry. The first thing Jesus does is to bring together his team. Uh, in my book, uh, Who's Holding Your Ladder? Yeah. I talk about without that team, it wouldn't happen. So Jesus realized that even in spite of his divinity, he had an exit point. We all have exit points. And so the whole notion of who am I investing in strategically who can continue what I'm depositing in their life. So Jesus was totally vision-centric and team-centric. Mm. And when the two came together, here we are because of those two things. That's right. That's right. As you are in this phase of your, and you hit in the book, it was really good. You talked about the different, um, the different points we all go in in leadership. And you're, I think you're probably in that mentoring phase now where you are pouring back into the generations behind you. Is there anything you wished you would have done different? As you look back across the span of, of your career from being a youth leader and pastor and, and all the different hats you've worn, anything you wish you would have done different? I have, I have many regrets, but I'll give you my greatest regret. My greatest regret is I did not have mentors in my life. Mm. I can tell you this much. I'll be, you know, uh, I'm to the latter in my latter 60s right now. I've been doing what I do for over 30 years. Uh, God has been just amazing, amazing good to this guy. And I, I'm grateful for that. But I know this much, Pastor Mike. I'd be much farther down the road if I had mentors in my life. Wow. I, I, would, I would be a much better leader and a better thinker and a better processor and a better helper of people. I would have served the kingdom of God at a much higher level if I had mentors in my life, I didn't, I didn't. All kinds of reasons, but I didn't. And that deficit haunts me to this day because I just didn't have any 
You, you can call them mentors, guides, coaches. What I don't care what you call them. But I didn't have voices in my life. I didn't have somebody put their, their arm around me. So, so here I am in my 60s, and, and Pastor Mike, I cannot remember one single time when somebody put their arm around me and said, Sam, I see some gifts in your life. I think you're going somewhere. Can I help you a little bit here? Don't make the same mistakes I made. No, no, no. Never has happened in my life. And it's, so, you know, there are, there are, there, there's a whole terminology known as leading from your dark side. Right. I'm leading from my dark side. I want to give back to the community of leaders at large what I did not have. Now, my mentoring may come to you as a book or, or through uh, Pastor Mike's uh, media outreaches to you, but my greatest regret is I could have been much further down the road. If I just had somebody show me where the landmines land were, that's right. Somebody get me unstuck. Somebody help me unlearn. Somebody to not just correct me but to affirm me. You know, sometimes you don't know if you're doing the. You know when you're doing the wrong thing, but you don't know if you're doing the right thing. That's right. That's right. I just right. You know, a mentor speaks into your life. A mentor gives you wings to fly high and roots to go deep. They are, they, are, they are committed to you as a person, as a process, and a plan. I, and I didn't have all of that. So long answer to a short question. I wish I had voices in my life mm. that could have kept me from so many times when I went off the path. What, what I love about that, though, Dr. Chan, is even though you didn't have them, you didn't use that as an excuse not to be that for somebody else. And I think the easy part for you would have been, okay, well, I've learned it the hard way and I'm going to keep all this to myself. And in, and in just the opposite fashion, you learned it the hard way, but then you use that to write leadership pain to help another guy. I remember sitting on, I had a friend give me the book before I went on my, I think we were going on our 25th wedding anniversary trip. And he goes, you've got to read this book. And I sat there and read it and felt like I had written the book. I felt like, oh my gosh, that was, but you used your experiences to normalize. You're not alone. Everybody mm -hmm. walks through this. And so thank you for not using that as an excuse not to be a mentor to others. Because yeah. you've been amazing. You've been amazing. But thank you so much. Thank you so much. Only God's grace and, and providential favor that uh, I chose not to be a victim. That's right. Live, live like that. But uh, it would have been, you're right, it would have been very easy for me to say, well, you know, everyone has to pay their dues. I paid mine, you pay yours. <laughs> yep, you're exactly right. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world. And that ties in with a prayer and a passion that you have for your new book is this isn't a book where we're going to give you all the outlets that you can go and buy and subscribe to the book. Tell everybody about your passion for what God's laid on your heart for this new book. Tell everybody about that. Yeah, okay, thank you. So here's the book. It is a hard copy book. Uh, it's, uh, it's a substantial book. And I have chosen not to sell this book. I have chosen to give this book away free. Free. And all you got to do is go to your text area of your phone, text the word future, F-U-T-U-R-E, future, to 345-345. Three, four, five, three, four, five. 
The number is 345-345, and the message is future. And you will get this book free. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, and, and I really, I mean, it just encapsulates my heart to be able to say many people may not be able to buy it. Uh, many people may be able to buy it, but uh, not be able to utilize it like it needs to be utilized. So uh, there's a master class that you can subscribe to. But here's the deal. The book is yours to keep, regardless if you subscribe to the master class or not. Book is yours to keep. And uh, you can share that with all of your pastor friends, all of your leader friends and ministry and marketplace. It's a, it's a book that is a Christian book, but it's not a preachy book. That's so right. you can give it to your CEO, you can give it to your supervisor, to your co-workers, and you can just give that uh, number 345, 345, and the message future to all of your friends. And uh, thousands of them can get a free book. So I don't see the downside of it. If you don't like the book, trash it. <laughs> <laughs> On eBay, take it to Goodwill. I mean, uh, it's like it's not going to hurt you. Uh, and so I just, that's, that's my heart. My heart is to add value. Yeah. My vision statement for my life, Pastor Mike, is very simple. Helping others succeed, and this is my way of doing that. I hope you enjoyed that time with Dr. Chand. My goodness. You know, there were, there were a couple things he threw out that I have really had to process. And the, probably the first one was what we sort of unpacked there at the beginning of the episode. Every leader has to learn unlearn and relearn. I was meeting with a good friend of mine who's pastored a church for 30 plus years, same church, church he founded. And we talked about that at our meeting. It was a day after I interviewed Dr. Chan. And we had a whole conversation about that because as a church planner and a pastor, you are constantly learning. You are constantly unlearning and you're constantly relearning. I've talked to so many in the coaching industry. The world's greatest coaches don't do it exactly like they did in 1972. They have learned their craft, they have unlearned, and they have relearned. Same principles, but we all do them different ways. Companies are the same way. If we keep doing what we've always done and we don't continue to learn, we're going to get left behind. But if we are unwilling to relearn, and unlearn, we're in big trouble. The second thing I remember most out of this podcast was a leader's role is to sift, to shift, and to lift. I've never in all my years heard anybody put it quite like that. Incredible information. And I know for me as a leader, it just helps me be better, to think of it that way. And, and, you know, for so many of us in a capacity, we love, I love the lifting part. I don't enjoy the sifting and the shifting, but that all comes with the territory, doesn't it? Thank you so much, Dr. Chan. New thinking, new future. Remember, get your copy of the book. Text the word future, future, to 345-345 so you can get your copy. Please, if you have enjoyed this episode, go to iTunes, Stitcher, leave a review for us. 
It helps us move up the charts and helps other people listen in. Because remember, our goal, our goal is to help people be the leaders that God created us to be. Well, you know, so many episodes are informational and we inspire, but you take notes. This next episode, episode 52, I promise you will be inspirational. We're going to be sitting down with a young man named Chris Norton to tell you the odds that he has defied. It would take me all day to tell you what that young man has walked through. It makes my worst day seem like an easy day. And Chris is just an incredible, incredible guy who has overcome what really is one of the toughest things you'll ever face in life, and that is losing the use of your legs. And to watch where he is today and how he's using what some would call a disability to be an absolute ability to tell his story, to teach truth, and to be the person that God created him to be, you are going to love Chris Norton. He's going to have a new book that's coming out. We're going to be profiling on that episode, and you are going to love our time with Chris. He is a, uh, he's a phenomenal person. The power to stand. You're going to love it. So until we meet again, go be the leader that you were created to be and go make a difference with the place in the place that God has put you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.